Welcome in to the Who Day Den. It's been a couple weeks since we last talked. We had a uh, very, I would say, successful couple weeks there to kick off the offseason with free agency and got got some key positions nailed down, I think, along the offensive line. And since then, things have been pretty quiet, pretty quiet on the Bengals front. Not a whole lot going on, uh, but but it's a fun time of year regardless as the draft is fast approaching here in, golly, what, like three weeks, something like that, three and a half, I don't know. Uh, but I think the Bengals this year are, are in an interesting situation at 31 because you you have the question marks around like what position, I don't even know what position group we're necessarily going to attack. I don't know what players exactly are going to be available because there are 30 teams ahead of us picking. So it's a a little bit more uncertainty this year around that pick, but I'm really excited about the possibilities there. And I've been doing a little writing on the side here, trying to get back on the old uh, writing grind here. Um, So you can find my stuff out at bingles-talk.com. Uh, working on a little bit of a series about position groups. Uh, where might the Bengals focus at pick 31 in the first round? Got one article out about why cornerback could be the position that they need to address, why defensive end could be a position that they should consider addressing at 31. I'll have another one out talking about offensive line as a position that they could consider at 31 and why. It's not like really prospect uh, evaluations. I don't really do that well, especially when it comes to positions that aren't like skilled position players. Um, but it, it's more making the argument to the fan bases to say, if you're looking in a mock draft and seeing that we take Linderbaum at 31 and you're one of those people that's saying, golly, we don't need Linderbaum. We just did this, this and this on the offensive line. That article is to give a little bit more perspective as to why offensive line should be a consideration and, and for all the position groups. If you're looking at cornerback and being like, we've got Apple coming back, we've got a Wujie, we really should be focusing on X, Y, Z, that article gives a little bit more information as well as some names of players that could be there at 31 based on what we're seeing in mock drafts and things like that. So that's what I've been doing. And uh, the Bengals have been quiet on pretty much every other front uh, so far. But the season's quickly approaching. And, you know, April feels like forever away from September, I guess. But when you think about news kicking up in training camp like we had the storylines last year with jamar chase uh hopefully we don't have those types of storylines this year but i'm interested to see what the the training camp storylines will be the narratives that we hear coming out of camp whether it's joseph asai returning and looking really good or jackson carmen taking huge steps in his development looking like the the answer there for our left guard position whatever it is that'll be here sooner than you think and then after that you've got preseason games to overanalyze we've got the season then kicking off and i think the the next big thing after the draft i think it'll be after the draft will be the um schedule release so we know the opponents we have don't know exactly when they will be i think we might be getting a game overseas this year we'll see about that and i believe that'll be the schedule drop will be happening around uh, the draft or shortly thereafter in early May. So we'll we'll break that down as well once that comes out. But today I was joined by John Sheeran. Uh, he does some work out at Cincy Jungle, has a podcast, YouTube channel, all that good stuff. He joined me to talk a little bit about the draft, a little bit about free agency. Mainly we talk draft strategy type of things the Bengals could consider. Take a listen. Today's guest, John Sheeran, joins me. He Covers all things Bengals, all things Bengals for Cincy Jungle. Uh, co-hosts the Bengals OBI podcast as well. Does great work out there. 
um, has some questionable tweets once in a while. But, you know, for the most part, a good follow on Twitter. John, thank you for joining me. How are you doing? Questionable to who? Well, you know, we'll get into that. We'll get into that. Um, You know, we'll segue right into it now. Okay, I want to ask you because there was the viral tweet from a few days ago about, you know, post your cancelable food takes. And you said that chocolate with nuts is not good. And I'm just I'm just wondering what chocolate with nuts you've had that make you feel that passionate that none of them are passable for a dessert. Well, it, it doesn't even matter, like, the specific brand. You could talk about your Snickers. You could talk about whatever you want to say. Like, I, I like chocolate. I, I'm okay with nuts. Like, peanut butter is fine. Like, nuts on its own is fine. I understand the appeal of, like, the sweet and the saltiness and the combination. And honestly, like, I don't really mind chocolate pretzels. Like, that's, like, where I would go for that. It's just like chocolate with nuts. It, it just seems like if I'm eating the chocolate bar, I don't want to deal with like nuts. It feels like nuts is like a bar food <laughs> that I would have with, with beer. It's, it's just a weird combination. I don't judge anyone who does it. I just happen to think it's bad. So even like just a, a plain, like a very basic chocolate covered almond, not your thing. Oh, I hate almonds. Oh, passion. Man, man. They uh, at, at my work, they give those away every year. Um, chocolate covered almonds. Big they hit. hate you. Oh, <laughs> I mean, people stand in line to buy extra of these boxes, so they're they're big hits. Uh, I just found that to be an interesting food take, although I will say it was not as uh, egregious as some of the others I saw in that thread. Um, people talk about dipping their pizza crusts in Coke. I've never done that. Have you? Like, I might have done it as a kid just because yeah. I was curious. <laughs> yeah, sure, like, sure. Uh, at this point, like, this, I'm a, not a kid this appeared to be a grown adult saying that he dips it in there, uh, like Joey Chestnut <laughs> style, which. Um, yeah, I don't know. That doesn't really hit for me. But to each we're, their own. we're all we're all weird in our own way. <laughs> it's just right. a matter of how much we want to share. To Have honest. you done the peanut butter pickle sandwich that like some people swear by? Oh, I hate pickles too. Oh man, man, <laughs> sheesh, killing me you're out lot, here. You get a lot out of me, man. Man, all right, that's okay. That's all right. We're not here for your food takes. Uh, luckily, we're here for your for your Bengals takes. And I, I want to kind of kick things off here with getting your perspective on what your favorite offseason move has been so far, whether it's someone they retained, somebody they didn't pay, um, you know, someone we brought in new off the streets. What's been your favorite one for our favorite hometown team? I mean, it's definitely Lael. There's no need to have a hot take here. I think just the process of which they acquired him going against the grain of what everyone wanted them to do. First, it was trade the 31st overall pick for him, but then it was just, oh, just trade any pick for him. They're just trying to give him away. Just how that whole process played out, the fact that he wanted to come here, he wanted to reunite himself with Frank Pollock. They knew that, and they knew that he would eventually get released and to immediately get him on a plane, to get him here to Cincinnati for three days while they worked it out, and then to get him on a deal that was significantly smaller and less expensive compared to what he was making and what people thought he was going to make. It never made sense to me that he was going to sign like a bigger deal after he got cut from making uh, three years, 30 million or whatever was left on that deal. And they, they handled it perfectly. And I think they earned a lot of trust with people in the fan base in regards to, yeah, they've been more active in free agency, but you know, when they target some of these guys they, they do a good job of closing. And I think they did a great job of that. Well, based on your demeanor, you don't strike me as a person that was uh, in the, the hive that was freaking out for that three day span. You weren't um, stalking him in malls or tweeting into the world type of things or, you know, I, I found that to be very bizarre. Like I, I, maybe it was just me, but like um, knowing that he was in Kenwood and then people like um, finding that out and then trying to find him. I'm, I mean, he must've uh, didn't mind. He handled it phenomenally, but it felt a little bit 
creepy from when I saw him, but then like all the like, all the photoshops of him down at the banks and everywhere. That was that was a little bit funny. So I, I'm glad that he took it as people are appreciating the fact that he's here and he's considering to, uh, joining the Bengals. And um, I, I guess that, that might have played a factor into reaffirming that he wanted to be here and it just ended up being the financials but yeah man the, the freak out was was hilarious and then with the, with the false reports that he left town and everyone was jumping ship and even he had malik wright saying uh-oh that's not good and then everyone's like i'm gonna kill myself i'm gonna jump off the roof they're gonna lose lel <laughs> calm down guys yeah i mean uh, i'm constantly reminding myself and others that like fan is short for fanatic and a lot of yeah. times these fans legitimately are because i say these fans because i was i was not in the I, th- I thought if he left town, that probably wouldn't be a good thing, but I was right. not losing my mind over it. Um, and some of these fans were legitimately, you know, acting like the the future of this franchise hinges on. Now, when we get to like Joe Bro negotiations, I will probably be on the edge of my seat <laughs> with every little bit of news that comes out with that. But this one was one where it was like, yes, important signing. Would love to get the dude. Would address a need. Uh, but you know, I I, I think. I think throughout this whole offseason, it's not just this offseason, it's been now three, I guess, offseasons of proof of like this team and in the way the front office is handling things is different from the way our fathers and grandfathers and great grandfathers uh, were raised and in, in rooting for a team that is a dumpster fire and doesn't know how to handle things like they're they're doing things that have shown that like we as fans should, for the most part, trust. Uh, granted, we're not going to love every move they make or don't make, but like we should for the most part trust that they're going to uh, you know, make some moves that are going to make this team better. So, uh, you know, I was just of the belief if, if Collins leaves town, we don't end up getting him, you know, franchise is going to do something else to get somebody else in here to protect Joe. So it was a definitely an interesting 72 hours that weekend, but I would agree. Probably my favorite off season move. I want to get your quick opinions before we jump into draft stuff. What are your thoughts on like the Jesse Bates franchise tag? Do you think like that is a move that you would say, uh, I'm in favor of because it locks him in for one year and, and then we'll figure it out later. Or are you more of we should have locked him up while we could because the price is going to keep going up most likely? Yeah, I probably would have done what I could to get him under contract last offseason. And, you know, we know we know so little about how that actually went down. But I mean, David Mulligetta made made he- you know, headlines about what he did with Deshaun Watson. But he's always been this kind of agent. And like Watson is definitely not the first uh, star player that he got a huge bag with and like that's just kind of how he negotiates and the Bengals don't really um, like to bend to those types of agents and whatnot so like the whole thing has been not great from that stance and it's just it just seems like it, if it was going to happen it probably would have but I, I do think that that there's enough interest on both sides to try to keep trying to get a deal done so I think we know that it's going to go up until the very end uh, in July 15th or whatever the deadline is to try to get that done. But it, it, it just seems like yeah, franchise tag was probably the smart move. Uh, they have a price that probably hasn't changed that much. And it goes beyond just, you know, average annual value and stuff. It's all the guarantees and whatnot. And, you know, I, I think Bates is still that caliber of player that would likely see the vast majority, if not 100% of that deal. And, you know, there's enough precedent where that's proven to be true. And if he doesn't, it's something like a Trey Wayne situation happens. And it's very unfortunate but I think Bates is respected enough in that building where they wouldn't try to do him dirty. It's just a matter of his agents trying to get him as much money as possible. And I don't blame him for not trying to bend with, with that because it's worked out for the most part um, not doing so. Yeah, I think the Jesse Bates situation, and I know that's not like the main topic for today, but as we talk to that quickly, I think it's really fascinating to me because I have just 
definitely waffled back and forth as to like, okay, pay the man, do right by him. Uh, he's a great player. You know, it says a lot about your team and your culture when you can lock up a leader. Then to like, okay, you know, if it's not going to work out, do we really want to tie up $17 million a, a year for Jesse Bates? Like when we have these other huge contracts coming up? Probably not. Um, so I, I've kind of gone back and forth. And, and maybe I just can't remember life before Jesse. Uh, <laughs> but a part of me is like, wow, I believe the safety position is really important. PFF has it in their like uh, wins above replacement or whatever they they use for their metrics is like a, a fairly important position on defense. Um, we've had good like safeties that we've gotten in non-premium pick rounds. Like when you think of like the Reggie Nelsons of the world and the George Ilocas, like were they elite all pro type of guys? No. And Jesse has been a second team all pro. But like we've gotten decent play back there. I don't even know. You want to throw Kevin Casebahar in there? Ooh, wow. <laughs> Um, that's a throwback for sure uh like i, I still think of reggie nelson's like bj the bj hill trade was phenomenal but reggie nelson trade might be the greatest trade in Bengals history because mm -hmm. uh, david jones was the guy they traded away I don't, I don't know what he did afterwards but yeah reggie nelson was very solid and i think nelson had similar traits to bates where he had a phenomenal range from sideline to sideline and i think that is why bates's price is is as high as it is and is as high as it will be if he hits the open market because yeah, the, the production and the quality of play might be inconsistent from time to time, but I think the traits and the skill set that he has, you can't easily find, even with like a late second round pick that they were lucky enough to get him with in the 2018 draft. So I think that is why like, it, it's more than just the production and maybe like the wins above replacement, which obviously I think he has an argument for because he had that phenomenal year. And I think that year is good for him to say like, this is what I'm going to be going forward. I know that 2021 was not my, my best year, but you know, you can blame that on distractions and just playing in a contract year. And that doesn't always work for everyone. And he, now that's something for him to think about too. He's got another contract year to play under, even though this, you know, he's going to, he's going to get more money, but that's another year where he's not going to have any type of long-term security. And that's something that he has to think about. But I think with Bates, it's projecting who he's going to be going forward. I, I think he's going to be, a higher quality player more than not, even though he still has flashes of inconsistency. Yeah, definitely. And, and I kind of want to segue that into um, talk about draft strategy. And I am, I would say like with my many years of playing um, fantasy football, like I got decent at, I don't even like saying scouting. Cause like that's giving myself way too much credit. But like, as I watched like wide receivers and, and running backs, so I'm trying to decide which rookies I want to draft my dynasty team. Like, I began to understand like what to look for with like cutbacks and vision and mm -hmm. separation and not rounding out your like routes and stuff like that. But when it comes to other positions, like I have no idea what I'm looking at. Like if I'm looking at an offensive lineman, I don't want him to get like thrown backwards. I don't want him to be on his rear end. Uh, a defensive lineman, I would like to see him get pushed. But like I don't know anything about technique or anything like that. So when it comes to scouting, you know, the specific prospects in this draft, that's definitely not my strength, but I want to talk a little bit around like strategy of the draft. And you had uh, a video yesterday where you're talking about not drafting like you're all in. Um, and can you give the listeners here like a little synopsis of what your uh, what your main point was in that video? So I think as we're now a few weeks away from the draft, everyone knows that the Bengals are like a, a really good left guard away from having a completely solid offensive line. And maybe they're like, they have a couple of other positions where they, they can have a plug and play impact right now. And they have the next year or two where they have a wide open Super Bowl window where a lot of the players are not on expensive contracts yet. So like there is a, there's a window to go in all now 
and or all in right now. And like the draft is basically their last resort of basically finalizing the roster with quality players. And that's an interesting way of thinking about it. But I think about it from not just the next two years, but the next 10 years, because Burrow's going to be here for the long term. At least one of Chase or Higgins is going to be here for the long term. Ideally, all three of them are here for the long term. But that that's obviously going to cost a ton of money. And right now, you know, just, just because a lot of the contracts are going to expire in the next few years, like they have cap space going forward to pay those guys but once they pay those guys there's just not a ton of money elsewhere to go around and i think now starting with this draft is the time to start investing in some of the positions that you will eventually have to replace with cheaper talent and it's best to do that as early as possible because you get them in the system and you start developing them um, years in advance before they have to start playing but i think the draft in, in itself has almost kind of been bastardized in recent years because so many players are producing immediately and it's raised the standards and expectations for some of these high picks and what like they're expected to do but it didn't always used to be that way like what what like Jamar Chase did as a rookie is phenomenal but that, that's that's rarely it's that's why it was so phenomenally to, right. to watch because yep. that's that's not normally what happens like Tristan Wirfs the Tampa Bay Buccaneers right tackle he was like an all-pro player as a rookie it was completely unheard of like players are getting a lot better quick uh, more quicker because they're entering the NFL at a higher level, but that didn't always used to be the case. And I think when you have a team that's set up so well and you have the starting roster basically set for the next year or two, you're in a position where you can fill out the rest of the team and start looking for future needs. So when you have to have quality starters at the for the rest of the team while you're paying all these guys a ton of money and, and the salary cap is not as flexible as it used to be, you're set up for the long term of having a complete team around your core players when you're paying them that way. So I, I feel like if it's not this year, it's definitely next year where they have to start thinking about that. And maybe they can have one or two premium picks where they can have a, an immediate starter uh, for this year. Maybe they end up going Linderbaum and they have Ted Karras at left guard. I, I don't know. But I, I feel like they have to start thinking in the long term because it's not just a one to two year window. It's a 10 year window as long as Burrow and either Chase or Higgins are there. Right. So do, do you think like I was trying to think through this last night, do you think that w- the the strategy that you're kind of describing here, we, we hear a lot of talk about the NFL draft being like, don't, you know, you draft best player available. Uh, don't draft for what you have an opening on as your team. Like, oh, you need a left guard. So you're going to reach for a left guard. You take the best player that's there regardless of position for the most part is what you're describing. You think different from drafting for needs versus or is it more towards the best player available like how would you how would you describe what the strategy you're describing describing is uh it's kind of, it's definitely more best player available it's also just the way like like just look at last year because they needed a right guard to compete with Suofilo and they ended up going for Jackson Carmen and we all know that's probably wasn't that probably wasn't the wisest pick but they set themselves up to where they needed someone to come in and compete and he ended up only playing like 300 snaps not really helping the team out from the long term, like he could still work out, but that was a second round pick that they used on a guy that they wanted to compete right away, and it didn't really work out. And that that shouldn't be what your your goal is going into the draft. You should want to pick the best players possible. Like obviously, you can't pick just strictly best player available because there has to be eventually a path to get him on the field. You wouldn't take a quarterback in the first right. two rounds for obvious reasons, or a running back, or whatever other position that you want to throw in there. You definitely have to think in like a three year window. Is there a a path to get this guy onto the field to replace someone who you may not be able to pay once you're paying other guys. Like the salary cap is very real. Like it, it's not like it can be manipulated. It's just, I think someone said it best. It's like gravity. Obviously planes exist and you can fly them in the air, but that doesn't mean that gravity isn't real. It just means that <laughs> yeah. we found ways to get around it and yeah. pe- and other teams have found ways to get around the salary cap 
but the Bengals are never going to be that team. They're always going to negotiate with roster bonuses that raise cap hits in the first year, and they're never going to restructure. That's just not the way they do business. So they're not a team that can manipulate the cap like the Saints or the Buccaneers or, or what have you. So they always need to think about how to maximize their roster in the best way possible without having to do all this cap manipulation. And I think a way of doing that is just drafting for the, the two to three year type of long-term uh, window, if you will. Yeah. So with that being said, I'm interested as to what your ideal draft is. Like, again, we don't have to, you know, if you, if there's a particular player or players that are like, yeah, definitely one I would want in the first round realistically, or, you know, a mid round guy I really like, but whether it's players or just position groups, how would you, like to see the Bengals attack this draft where you would come out and say like, okay, that was a really, really good draft for Cincinnati. I think they need to get kind of lucky and have a quarterback fall to them in the first round. Um, just going through simulators and just seeing where other players are being mocked at this point. I feel like if they don't get an Elam or a Booth or a Gordon or what have you at, at the end of the first, they're not looking great at addressing cornerback. And that's not only a position that could compete now, but also they need some type of long-term stability beyond just Eli Apple. So that's kind of like the best of both worlds. Or just, well, Twitter um, Twitter tells me we're getting Stefan Gilmore, so we should be okay. okay. Awesome. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. Just a, I think they're in the bidding war between them and the Raiders right now. Yeah, so I think sure. It's up to like What's 18 their, million. 18 million. Yeah, who cares? Yeah. <laughs> so an early round corner or a first round corner is probably the ideal situation there. And then on day two, probably need to find some type of young three technique to play in tandem and behind BJ Hill. I know Logan Hall is like projected to be going somewhere in the second round. So there's a name to throw out there. And beyond that, like, I feel like the options are wide open. Maybe you have a receiver on early day three. Maybe you have a defensive end, like a Drake Jackson, if he falls into the third round, there's just not a ton of openings on the roster where guys are going to play immediately it's really just a corner that can compete with the apple and a three technique that can fit into the rotation because they just don't have any real real bodies there and they're kind of setting themselves up where they need to have someone somewhat competent and it's not the greatest strategy to enter the draft with that in mind but that's kind of the situation that they put themselves in so i definitely think defense kind of early you can find like a, a guard center type between rounds three and five because they still need probably need like another guard to fill out like the rest of the eventual opening day roster but yeah like if if there was an ideal way I, I think that's probably the the direction that it should go yeah i think um i think mock drafts are just such a waste of time but i cannot stop doing them um i've probably done more mock drafts this year than i did any of the previous off seasons oh, wow. yeah um just because I, i've really tried like to do various um strategies and i again i don't know like i've never watched nick cross the safety from i think maryland never seen him play but i'll read like pffs you know strengths and weaknesses i'll read like draft network like i'll read some of these things and say, like okay is this a guy that even really fits uh you don't want to be taking a corner back in round one that really profiles as a slot corner mm -hmm. probably not exactly what we need we need somebody who can play on the outside more so um so like i, I try to read through those but i i've I've tried to go with different strategies as far as like, what's it look like if we take a safety in round two It with thinking that we're going to re be replacing either Vaughn and or potentially Jesse. What's it look like if we do see a receiver fall to us in round three and we snag one there instead of waiting until, you know, round five or six. So it's been, and, and it's so ridiculous because like, there's going to be so many things that happen. I don't know how many mocks I did last year and, and not one of them did I ever, 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 ever take Jackson Carmen. Um, yeah. We traded back as well. So that played into it, but like, you know, 
these mock drafts are never really going to be, they're extremely fun. I think I like reading yeah. other people's and I like doing them myself um, as kind of a fun exercise, but I think I'm with you on, as we look at position groups, like left guard to me, would you, you mentioned Linderbaum, but like if it was say Linderbaum's off the board and uh, maybe those corners aren't, aren't there, do you look at it as like, okay, we need to go get uh, whether it's Zion Johnson or I think Kenyon green is the other guy, like, one of those guards to fill the spot then um or would you kind of try to pivot into like a three technique guy in the first round yeah i think it's an interesting uh discussion it just depends on like who else is there because at that point like green or johnson's probably one of the best players available and that's always like a good argument to make and maybe that's where they would pivot maybe they don't enter the draft thinking that they want an offensive lineman early but if that's just where they find themselves and i'm sure they're going to try to or it at least entertain offers to trade down from that spot too, because they're probably not going to do so in like rounds two or three. So yeah. that's on the table as well. But I'm glad you mentioned safety. I wanted to mention that like when the initial one, like if they don't draft a corner early, I could, I could absolutely see them getting a safety before the end of round three, just because of the long-term implications. And I think Lewis uh, sign the guy from Georgia's is mm-hmm. someone who's been mocked at the end of first at the end of the first round so if he's available and those guards are available it would not shock me in the slightest if they just take sign just because of that need going forward and again i think it i don't know their opinion on green or johnson but at this point i think they look at carmen and smith both guys with a year in the system they've obviously left that position left guard open and at this point, that probably means that they have confidence that one of them can win. And that's just, it's not for me to say like, oh, they would definitely take another rookie over these guys that they've have experienced coaching at, at this point. So I don't know if that's like a open and shut case. If either of those guys are there, I think they would still look more at some type of long-term uh, need to fill down the road. Yeah, I think the the beauty of it, I think this is, and maybe I'm, you know, a biased Bengals fan, but for like the third year in a row, there's really no way for us to mess this up. Like, you know, a couple of years ago, it was like Joe Burrow. Like, of course you take him, you're good. Last year it was, yes, there were Sewell and Chase debates. I was team Chase and was glad we took him. Had we taken Sewell, would our season have been different? Of course. But like, I don't think you would have looked at the Sewell pick and said that was a complete failure. Like they were both blue chip prospects this year. I kind of feel like there's, it's different picking at 31 versus one or five, obviously, but there are going to be so many different directions we could go. We've mentioned all the different position groups, whether it's a trade down, um, someone wants to come into the late first and grab a quarterback or something to get that fifth year option, whatever it may be. I feel like I would be hard pressed to see a pick made at 31 where I would be like, what the heck are you doing? Like, (laughs) I I just can't. I mean, I don't want to jinx it, knock on wood here, but like, I, I just find it hard to believe that because our team is fairly complete team Uh, when you look at like are we going to be able to compete next year yes the way we are set up looks like we're going to be able to compete again coming off the Super Bowl run so it's like I don't want to say playing with house money I don't I hate that term and I don't feel like it's that way at all but it's like you are in a spot where you can go so many different directions where it's you don't feel like all right I'm gonna reach here on a guard because I need a guard or safety or whatever it may be yeah you mentioned sign I've been seeing him Nick cross from Maryland and Kirby Joseph is like three safeties that are like in rounds one, two or three ish in mocks. Um, I don't know which one's profile is the best fit for Cincinnati based on what they're looking for, but it would be interesting to see them address that position and kind of set themselves up for a fallback plan. If they're unable to sign both Jesse or Vaughn or, you know, neither of them. So uh, I'm excited for the draft. Uh, there seems to be a little bit more like 
question marks around it this year than in previous years where we had a pretty good idea of who was going to be taken. And that makes it a little frustrating, but kind of fun. Um, you know, as the draft concludes, I think is when we'll probably see maybe a next wave of free agency. Are there any free agents that you have kind of on your radar as guys you would want the Bengals to go after? I know like main needs of the offensive line have been addressed. Some of the names still out there, like a Gilmore are going to be way out of our price range. Um, so is, is there anyone out there? Or are you kind of expecting like scraping the bottom of the barrel uh, bargain picks? Oh, I mean, Nick, Nick Eubanks did it for me. You know, that was a great sign. <laughs> sure. Like at this yeah. point, I, I just, it's just, it's a lot of guys that are over 30 that like either maybe have one or two years left in the tank, but they're just not, they're not going to move the needle. Like, yeah, there's, there's some notable names. Like, like I'm just looking at defensive tackles, Akeem Hicks, Eddie Goldman, like Linval Joseph, like you still have Larry Ogunjobi out there and mm-hmm. like, yeah, like it, it's a name and it's a pedigree, but at this point, like how much more attractive is that than like a, a rookie who you think is a better fit in the system? I think that's how they're looking at it too. They probably still need like one or two like guys to fill out the entirety of like the 90 man roster. I don't know if they're going to have like 25 total rookies uh, and um, join them with, with this class and whatnot, but it, it, it just seems like anything free agency wise, it doesn't really change the dynamic of the team at all at this point. And I, I think um, you kind of said that with the draft too. Like they, they could take a decent player at 31, but at the end of the day, like he's not really doing much unless he's, unless he's a left guard and he plays like amazing this year. Yeah. He's like a Kansas city chiefs type pick. Unless it's someone like that, like the guy that you're picking is probably not making any sort of like notable impact. Maybe it's a cornerback that beats out the apple, but even still it's a rookie cornerback and it's kind of like a, a risk to, to go with that spot. So I, I feel like, the, the team is set up now where they can just absorb any high round rookies here and like, and they'll have a role and whatnot, but like the team is basically set and the draft in free agency is not really going to move the needle much anymore at this point. Are you, I, I want to get, get out of here on this question. I'm sorry. I'm going back to the draft, but are you team tight end in this draft? Cause I'm seeing a lot of mocks that have us taking a, a very athletic tight end in rounds three or four or something like that. Is that something that you look at and say, okay, samples, not the long-term answer. Hayden Hurst on a cheap one year deal where does that position fit into the importance of our offense, right? Because that person's most likely going to be the third, fourth option potentially in the passing game. Do you think that's a, I don't even want to say need, because I don't think anyone says like, yes, we need a tight end. But do you look at that as a, a target of what a position group you would be looking at to grab in April or not? It's not like a need need by any means. Like the, anyone they, they would bring in would be third string to initially to start and maybe, maybe carve out some type of a role. But I think they're in a good spot to develop one if, as far as like the long term, because you both have you have both Hurst and Sample just with one year left on their deals and you never really want to rely on rookie tight ends unless his name is Kyle Pitts and really like tight ends on rookie contracts right. they don't really produce or show their full value mm-hmm. um, up until they get paid and whatnot so I feel like as far as like a team that could just bring in a tight end and get him a, a year or two acclimated within the system and then start producing in a prominent role like they're set up well to do that but it's not the end of the world if they like don't get a tight end in the first four rounds like Trey McBride at the end of the second I think I would be on board with that just because he provides a dimension long term that they don't really have and maybe Hayden Hurst can prove himself to be that too this year but I, I do think that you're right like they have three receivers that are always going to be the focal point of the game plan and then you have to have you know Mixon involved as well but I think we saw enough of how they utilized and maximized CJ Uzama up the middle 
and to have a better, more dynamic athlete work with Burrow on some of the seam routes, I think that is intriguing and enticing and would open up the offense even more than we already know. So it's definitely something that that's interesting enough to consider it. But like you said, it's not like a pressing need by any means. Yeah, uh, I'm on board with that one as well. I, I'm interested in what Hayden Hurst provides uh, this year, um, but I, I I don't see that position as a we get we we need to address this by any means. Um, but John, I thank you for your time. Uh, again, you can find most of his stuff out cincyjungle.com, um, Bengals OBI podcasting. Your 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 Twitter handle has two underscores in it, right? Is that two underscores? It does have two underscores. Okay. Yeah, wow. There's, there's a John Sheeran in Ireland who like follows three uh, race horsing accounts mm. and he's been inactive for 10 years. I've, mm. I've reported him like 11 times <laughs> uh, for an activity to get his ad. But at this point, just, I just I've just went all in to embrace the double underscore. That's good. Uh, so you yeah. can find him on Twitter at John double underscore Sheeran, S-H-E-E-R-A-N. Uh, I will say I can relate at Taylor Cornell is taken by a young lady who does not use her Twitter account very often, but it is That's technically strange. somewhat active. I've added her or uh, added her, not added her, added her a few times. Like, hey, do you want to trade uh, handles here? But I uh, <laughs> haven't got a response back, unfortunately. It doesn't seem like she's interested. So I will stick with the underscore at the beginning. John, thank you for your time. Thanks for talking a little bit. Uh, Bengals, chocolate with nuts, uh, draft. We, we covered it all in this episode. So I appreciate your time. Thanks, Taylor. Good stuff there from John. Again, appreciate his time. If you have not already subscribed to the podcast, wherever you listen to it, Apple, Spotify, uh, I don't even know where else people have Google podcasts, wherever it is, be sure to do so. Don't want to miss an episode. They are a little sporadic in the offseason. We will get more on a schedule as the season approaches, of course. Uh, if you haven't left a review, a little five-star action, you want to jot down some nice words about this podcast, of course, you're always welcome to do so as well. Appreciate the listens. I will say... Uh, I was expecting a, a major drop in off-season listenership since, you know, it's the off-season. People are doing other things. The weather gets warmer and people are are more active, not in their house, uh, piddling around. But I will say the last few episodes we've done, as we talk about free agency, the excitement is definitely still there among the fan base. So I appreciate everybody listening. Uh, we will be back, uh, not next week, but likely the week after. So we'll, leading up to the draft, do at least one more draft episode maybe talking a little bit more specific prospects that we could be considering at 31. Um, maybe some new NFL news that might be breaking sometime between then that we can talk about as well as it relates to the Bengals. But until then, everybody, you know what they say? Who day? <laughs>